Good evening. All right. Uh, I'd like to welcome anybody who's visiting tonight uh, and let you know that right now we're going through a series on the Lord's Prayer. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's the Lord, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray when they asked him to. Um, and so tonight, we've been, over the last few weeks, we've been going through it bit by bit. And tonight, um, I'm bringing the next part. Uh, really, at morning church, we, we pray this prayer every morning together. If you haven't been to our morning service, it's more liturgical. But at the end of every service, we gather together in a circle and join hands, and we pray the Lord's Prayer together. And it's my favorite part of the service, hands down, because in that time, I really have a vision of us all together as one, joined together for God's mission, right before we break off to go in our different directions and out into the world again. And it's such a time of joy for me. But as I've studied for preparation today, talking about forgiveness, I sort of wonder sometimes with this prayer, do we really realize what we're praying? Do we comprehend what we're actually asking God to do? And today's prayer is simply this. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It might be too so familiar, so let me say it again. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We are asking that God forgive us in the same way as we forgive others. Nothing more, nothing less, the same. More than that, in Matthew 6, immediately following this prayer, Jesus says this um, in verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's it. That's what it comes down to. Whenever we pray this prayer, we're asking God to forgive us in the same way that we have forgiven and that we continue to forgive other people. As I've studied and prayed this past week, I've kind of tried to look for a way around this. Like, no, he can't really mean that. He can't really mean that he would hold us accountable to this. But I've really only come to this one conclusion, that there is no room for unforgiveness in the church. And as I've prepared, I've thought about my relationships, relationships with other people, relationships with other pastors and churches I've worked with, relationships within SCUM, my family members, my husband. And I've seen areas in my life where I am not fully living out this prayer. But there is no room for unforgiveness in the church. I am a Christian, a member of the body of Christ, representing Christ in the world. And as such, I must forgive. What about you? Do you know people that you just don't think you can forgive? Or do you hold grudges for a while, just kind of hang on to it? Do you realize that when we're praying this prayer, we're asking God to give us the same level of grace that we give to others? And did you ever expect that God forgive? expected you to forgive everyone. Because in Luke it says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Church, our relationship with God depends on it. There is no room for unforgiveness in the church. Let's pray together. 
Lord God, I'm so aware of the heaviness of this topic of forgiveness because behind it is the pain that somebody has hurt us, somebody has sinned against us. Lord God, I pray that you tonight would make it clear what you expect of us, of how you'll provide. God, I pray that tonight your, your words would speak through a vision of hope of what the church is to be. And God, I pray that we would be people who would be equipped to forgive, that we would not feel stuck in our, in our own struggles to forgive, but Lord, that you'd help us move past that and grow as you desire us to be. God, I pray that tonight we would have open hearts to you, that we'd have been softened to you and to your word, and that you would, you would move. Amen. So the verse I'm going to be using mainly to quote the Lord's Prayer is on the screen. It's Matthew 6, 12. It says, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And immediately some definitions might be in order because at least in morning church, we use the word sin when we pray this. And I think we've been doing it at night too. But what, is, what does debt mean? What, what are we talking about here? When we have a debt, we literally owe something, right? We owe someone something. We might think of our student loan, which we're paying off bit by bit. Credit cards, mortgages, <laughs> boo, yeah. Money, owe, money owed to friends and family that we've borrowed. But bets, bets can also talk about intangible things, not just the finances. We can owe things to one another that isn't cash, but deeds or works or, or a favor or something. You can, you can tell someone something who's done something for you, like, I owe you one, man. <laughs> I'll make it up to you. Or you could say to someone, you know, you really owe me. You just took my idea at work. You owe me. And so we understand what it means to owe someone something, right, in relationships. And the reality is that unpaid debts destroy our relationships. If we have an unpaid debt, the relationship begins to revolve around this debt and the payment of it. If we borrow money to someone and they miss a payment, immediately it becomes, this is no longer a relationship of equals, but somebody owes someone something. Someone owes finances to somebody else. And there's shame because the payment hasn't been made. There is perhaps pressure from the person who loaned to pay back. A promise has been broken. Trust is broken. The relationship is broken. And to be in a relationship with God, God demands that we owe no debts to him. Our account must be in good standing. When we sin, we are indebted to God. We have done wrong against him. So when Jesus is praying, asking us to pray the prayer, the first part especially, he's literally inviting us to ask God to release the debts that we owe against his account book. He's asking God to release it. And that's what forgiveness is. It's to release, to let go, to cancel, to pardon. You know, it's actually just saying, I've let it go. I've forgiven your debt. You don't have to worry about it anymore. In the Lord's Prayer, we're asking God to release our debts against him because we know we have sinned. We know our relationship with God is not right. And we owe him for the way we've harmed our relationship. But it is impossible it's impossible to repay God what we owe him. 
Whenever Jesus teaches about our debts to God in the Gospels, and it's a fair amount, actually, he never speaks of our repayment, but he always speaks of God's forgiveness. We cannot repay the debt we have to God. It's impossible. And because God has forgiven us our massive amount of debt that we can never pay back, because he has forgiven us of all of the sins we have ever sinned and will continue to forgive us when we ask him, we also need to forgive the sins of those who owe us. And no story really expresses this breath, this, this better than a parable that Jesus taught of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. It starts in verse 23. I'm going to be reading from the New Century Version, and I invite you to look it up in your own Bibles to compare or just to actively listen today. Um, yeah, keep looking at your own Bibles, please. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who decided to collect the money his servants owed him. When the king began to collect his money, a servant who owed him several million dollars was brought to him. But the servant did not have enough money to pay his master, the king. So the master ordered that everything the servant owned should be sold, even the servant's wife and children. Then the money would be used to pay the king what the servant owed. But the servant fell on his knees and begged, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything I owe. The master felt sorry for his servant and told him he did not have to pay it back. Literally, he forgave him that debt. Then he let the servant go free. Later, the same servant found another servant who owed him a few dollars. The servant grabbed him around the neck and said, Pay me the money you owe me. The other servant fell on his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you everything I owe. But the first servant refused to be patient. He threw the other servant into prison until he could pay everything he owed. When the other servants, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were very sorry. So they went and told their master all that had happened. Then the master called his servant in and said, You evil servant. Because you begged me to forget what you owed, I told you that you did not have to pay anything. You should have showed mercy to that other servant just as I showed mercy to you. The master was very angry and he put the servant in prison to be punished until he could pay everything he owed. This king did what my heavenly father will do to you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. In parables, people are always representing others. The king or the master here in Jesus' story represents God and the servant represents us. We owe God more than we could ever repay. The amount in this passage that was represented by several million dollars was 10,000 talents, and that means nothing to us. But I read that that amount could be worth anywhere from about $600 million to $12 billion in today's finances. To get another idea of what 10,000 talents meant at that time, in 4 B.C., the total taxes paid by the kingdom of Israel and Samaria to the Roman Empire was 600 talents. This man owed 10,000 talents to the king. It's a ridiculous amount of money. It's crazy. Who would ever loan somebody that much money? Nonetheless, have to pay it back. He couldn't. There was no way he could have paid it back. He would have had to work like lifetimes in order to be able to pay it back and give it everything that he earned. 
It's impossible. Jesus' point is this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. You could never pay God back for what you've done against him. We can never be good enough. We can never work it off. We have to confess our sin and depend on God's mercy on us. And he is merciful. He has compassion on us and he forgives our debts. We do not owe him anymore and we can go freely. This should stir in us such gratitude, right? Amen? (laughs) Such gratefulness. This should change us to the core of our being. God has forgiven us of our sins. We are free. We are free from sin. Free from condemnation. It should change us. And yet this man felt none of that. He had none of that in his heart. It did not change his heart. He refused to forgive his fellow servant of a few dollars that he could have easily paid back. He probably could have gone home and pulled a hundred bucks out of his wallet or, you know, under the mattress or something and paid him back. But he refused to do that and immediately threw him in prison. They could have done that back then. The forgiveness meant nothing. We have been forgiven of everything by God. In comparison, other sins against us are minuscule. In light of God's forgiveness of us, God requires us to forgive one another. This warning is echoed throughout the Gospels. I don't know what to say. It's just there. Like I said, I tried to get around it. It's there. We do not forgive. We can't continue on in our relationship with God. I had a very real sense of this in college. During my junior year of college, um, of all the ironies in the world, my ex-boyfriend from my senior year of high school was at the same school as me, and it's a small Christian college, and I really avoided him. But then in my junior year, he started coming to me and lamenting to me about his ex-girlfriend. And this guy had hurt me like nobody has ever hurt me. He, to say it the best way, I would just say he used me my senior year. He used me. And all of the bad feelings I had for him three years later, all the bitterness, the anger, the rage, the hate that I felt at the time, it all came back to me from years, and it consumed me. I don't know if I've ever been so angry. And God gave me these words from Jesus in Mark eleven twenty five. It says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. When you stand praying, he, Jesus was actually talking in the temple and assuming that these people were worshiping. He was assuming that they were that they were prepared to sacrifice. I mean, this is when we stand praying; it's our act of worship. It's like us being here tonight. You stand praying. If you hold anyone, anything against anyone, forgive them so your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sin. I knew that if I wanted to continue on my relationship with God, if I wanted to grow as a Christian, God was telling me, you have to forgive this guy. And with his help, I was able to. But if we allow unforgiveness and hatred in our hearts, we leave no room for God. 1 John 4, 16 says, to live in love is to live in God. It only follows that to live outside of love is to live outside of God. Ephesians 4, 31. 
and on says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Everything that you do when you're reacting, when you're angry with somebody, you know? Anytime you go around gossiping or, or cursing somebody, get rid of that. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God is calling us to forgive. And this could look like so many different things. You know, it could, it could look like if someone that hurt you is suffering, it might, instead of like rejoicing that they're in pain too, <laughs> you instead have compassion on them and offer to help them. Instead of snubbing someone in public, you say a kind word. You offer kindness. You offer a blessing when others curse you. We don't retaliate, but we offer kindness, walking in love as God forgave us. We forgive others. I was talking to my friend Shauna last week about this topic. We dreamed for a little bit about people coming together and able to confess to one another without fear of condemnation because they knew that forgiveness would be waiting. Forgiveness, which allows a person to escape shame, self-hatred, fear, able to find healing, able to move on and grow in the Lord. And Shauna said, I can't imagine what it would be like if people actually did that. And I replied, I think that's supposed to be the church. The world is a harsh place where you can't let your guard down. Revenge is considered a virtue. We went to go see the, uh, the movie The Princess Bride at the Red Rocks with Kenny and Holly a couple weeks ago and a few others to celebrate their birthdays. And it was so much fun. Everybody's quoting the movie along with each other. And as everybody is quoting Nico Montoya, you know the quote. He says, hello, my name is Nico Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Like, and he gains strength. Oh, it's like this climax of the movie. Everyone's like cheering and quoting along with him. And I'm laughing and then I'm realizing this is like the exact opposite of what I'm preaching on in two weeks. <laughs> we love revenge. We like store up this sense of like self fulfillment of, of, of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Vengeance. You know, we're just, we're just want to do it ourselves. But in the world where this is the only way, you can't let your guard down. You can't let people see your faults or they will take advantage of them. People take an eye for an eye and then some. It says, you hurt me, I'll hurt you more. Whether you rise or fall in society, in your job, in families, in friendships, it's solely based on your performance. There's no grace. There's no forgiveness of our debts. Church, in contrast, is to be a safe haven where we confess, confess our sins and be forgiven, where we know we are all sinners saved by grace. Imagine what it would be like to know that when you screwed up, you didn't have to worry about somebody rejecting you for it. Rather, that person would say, yes, you did. Yes, you did, and I forgive you. I let it go. 
You don't owe me anything. I'm not going to hold this against you. Thank you for apologizing. Let's move forward together. I don't know about you, but the very idea of that, that such a place as that, people like that, brings a deep sense of hope for healing in our relationships. I feel peace and joy just imagining a community like that. The church is to be made up of people who forgive. As God forgave us, we forgive others. We've sometimes been taught that we only forgive someone who is sorry. But the truth is, we need to forgive even if they're not. Jesus said, love your enemies. Someone slaps your cheek, cheek, turn the other one. The relationship is broken. And reconciliation only takes place when they repent and accept forgiveness. But you, we, can still forgive them in our hearts. And when we move in forgiveness, we become agents of healing and grace in the world. Through forgiveness, relationships can be healed. And mysteriously enough, when we forgive, we experience healing within ourselves from the hurt caused by the sin in the first place. Leanne Payne, amazing writer, great insights. She wrote a book called The Healing Presence. And she wrote this, although not all relationships with others can be healed in this life, we can forgive and release everyone who is unable to love or accept us or unable to relate to us in a manner pleasing to God. We can, by the grace of God, forgive those who have so deeply wounded us. As we forgive them, we find that not only do our wounds begin to heal, but our experience becomes the source of healing knowledge and power for others. Forgiveness is a gift from God. He gives us the grace to be able to forgive. And as we forgive and release others from what they owe us, we too are released from the burden of bitterness and hatred in our hearts in order to find healing and joy. We are healed when we forgive. This is not some kind of self-serving thing. I'm going to forgive so that I'm healed. It's something that God gives us. God gives us when we're obedient and we forgive. We don't have to wait until the pain is gone either. God heals the pain the other person caused as we forgive. And one other note that I think is so important. We need to know that forgiveness does not fully happen in one swoop, you know? We choose to forgive someone once, and we continue to choose to forgive when the effects of the sin come around and affect us once again. Sometimes, like Mike said earlier, it's like you see a smudge on the window, and you wipe it off. And you come back and there's another smudge and you wipe it off and you have to, you know, like the windshield when you're driving or something. It, it can come around again and we have to continue to forgive. It's a continuous thing. But God honors our decisions and provides us with the ability and the forgiveness in our hearts. And as we continue to forgive, we will continue to heal us. At the end of the parable, Jesus said we must forgive one another from the heart. This is the place where our purpose and our will resides, right? And when we pray this prayer, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, we are expressing to God our heart's desire to forgive. We are expressing our desire and intention to be the church. We are aligning ourselves with his will through the prayer to forgive one another. Where is your heart? 
Where's your heart? You'd want to forgive. If you feel strongly, no, I can't. I could never forgive such and such a person. It's unforgivable. They did this or that. I understand. And I want you to point you to prayer because we are not alone in this. God does not save us and then expect us to walk his way without giving us the ability to do it. He gave us the Holy Spirit, and it's through the Holy Spirit that we forgive. And his spirit in prayer changes our hearts to make us like God. We say it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And when the Lord asks us to do something, he provides us with the ability to do it. The last time I preached, I mentioned briefly my struggles with depression. And this past winter, I really struggled with it. Looking back, knowing now what I'm going to tell you in a minute, some of it could have been really avoided if I would have only forgiven some of my sisters in Christ. At the time, I didn't even know that I needed to forgive them. But it was when I was looking over some notes at, from a conference, and I read some word, these words um, that I realized what I needed to do. Because um, keep short accounts. Keep short accounts. When people disappoint you or betray you, do these three things. Own the pain, hurt, wound, or betrayal. Because there is pain. We sometimes say, oh, it's okay. I'm from Minnesota, and there's Minnesota nice. Oh, it's okay. You don't ever acknowledge that anything ever hurt you. It's this wall. Don't ever say that you hurt me. It's okay. But you have to own it before you can forgive it. And that's point two, forgive. Three, confess and receive forgiveness for any sinful reaction you had. Because truthfully, when someone hurts us, we respond in sin sometimes, right? Right. So when I was thinking about my friendships and praying to God, I, I just tried. And here is what my prayer journal said. It's really pretty quick. But number one, I'm following this list. Number one, I've been hurt by the loss of friendship and mentors by circumstances out of my and their control. I didn't want the relationship to end when it did or the way it did. I was deeply hurt. Number two, the forgive part. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> I just didn't have it. I didn't feel it, honestly. I had nothing. My hurt was so deep. I had nothing. I didn't want to forgive. I didn't know how to forgive. And not really knowing what else to do, I moved on to point three. And my journal says, I confess my jealousy, my bitterness, my lies to myself that I didn't hurt, and my false present presentation of myself to them that I wasn't hurting either. In that moment, I saw and I knew my part in the loss of the relationship. And as I confessed my sin, this prayer flowed from my heart. Lord, I forgive. Please forgive me. I felt compassion and forgiveness towards my friends well up in me. And at the same time, I received God's forgiveness. And a week later, I realized I was no longer depressed. The cloud had lifted. This, this act of forgiveness and God's forgiveness in me, it, it changed everything. It was unbelievable. And there are so many stories I could tell you. I cut a lot out because there's just of time. Stories of people feeling despair and turning to God in prayer 
who then are able to forgive. It's possible. And when we receive forgiveness from God, the power of God's forgiveness flows through us to forgive others. As God forgives us, we forgive others. You know, I encourage you, if you need to, to use those points, those three points to guide you as they guided me. They are so simple and so powerful and can really change everything. Usually we have communion on the first Sunday of the month. But instead tonight, I want to invite you to consider Paul's words in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight: Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Like, just like in Mark 11, if you're standing in prayer, you need to forgive somebody, forgive them. Before you partake of communion, of the Lord's Supper, consider what it needs to be done to make relationships right with others and with God. So we're not having it tonight. Instead, this week, make it right. Forgive. Pray. Call out to God. Call out to God. Ask him to help you. You feel bitterness or anger whenever somebody's name comes up in conversation? Might be a sign that you need to forgive. You feel betrayed or harmed by someone that you hold resentment against? Forgive. As God forgives us, we forgive. If you can't comprehend of how you could do this and you need help, we're going to offer prayer tonight during worship over there in the prayer cave. But before we go, I want, I ask, invite you to consider Corey Tenboom. Has anybody ever heard of her? Some, just kind of a couple generations ago, but she wrote a book, a memoir called The Hiding Place. And it's a story of her life as she lived in Poland underneath the Nazi occupation of Poland, and Jews were being persecuted before World War II broke out, really. And she and her family took in Jews from the community and hid them in her house so that they wouldn't be sent away. Eventually, she and everybody was arrested, um, and she with her sister was in, were in prison for quite some time. And through the book, she tells of her suffering, but she also tells of how her sister had this amazing vision for teaching the other prisoners about forgiving the guards who hurt them. And she and her sister loved and forgave through horrific experiences. And one of those that seemed to really stick out was when they were brought into a concentration camp in Germany. And she, along with all the other female prisoners, were forced to strip naked in front of the male officers. They were scrutinized in line before them. And they were forced to shower together before they were able to dress again. And during that time, she requested use of a toilet for her sister, Betsy, who struggled with um, an illness. And she was told by an indifferent, hateful SS guard, use the drain holes. After she was released from prison, her sister died in prison. Corey went around Poland. She was an agent of healing after the war. She spread the message of love and forgiveness and built communities centered around that. And then she was invited into Germany to bring healing to Germany. And one night she was 
teaching in a church. And this is what she says at the end of her book. It was a church service at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men. The heaps of clothing and Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. And his hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people and the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Let us pray together tonight as the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.